everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ERB pod. This is Andrew, your host for this week. With me are the two stalwarts, uh, Phil. How's it going, Phil? I'm very good, thanks, Andrew. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying the beginning of the season with the Lions doing better than expected, so I'm just hoping that it continues. I thought you were going to say the beginning of the spring season, because apparently, apparently Cape Town's had pretty rubbish weather in the last little while. Yeah, it's been okay, but um, you know, looking forward to summer soon enough. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get. I, I know it's been pretty warm in Joburg, so I'm sure the warmth will come down to us as well. Yeah, it's been cooking, and uh, somewhere else it's been cooking is uh, over in Portugal, where we throw it over to Ant, who's uh, there for the World Surf Ski Championships. Ant, how are you doing? I'm just about recovered. Uh, the race was very hard, but the beer does do an amazing job of, of refueling the spirits and energy levels. <laughs> I understand there was actually a South African that uh, won overall. Is that right? Oh, we cleaned up. I think we won junior sen- junior under 23 and senior men, and then we won got third senior woman, second under 23 woman, and first under 18 woman. So slight slight um. Decrease in performance from last year, where we got five golds and one silver, um, but still a pretty, pretty epic performance. That is pretty epic. Um, and how did you do personally? Um, I mean, I bled through my eyeballs. It was the hardest race of my life, but yeah, I suppose pretty, pretty, pretty happy just to be out there on the line. Like you know, you're racing against such world class opponents. Um, it was just very cool to be involved. That's pretty epic, man. Um, but I guess that means that you didn't catch much of the action this past weekend. No, so I'm very much here just in a, a chirping um, facility, but it was always nice to be on the pod with you, gents. Oh, it's always good to have you, Ant, and uh, thanks for tuning in from your hotel room. And I uh, can tell you're a little bit uh, a little bit uh, fatigued. I'm sure that's the beer and, and not the exercise, but uh, yeah, we, we're glad to have you with us. So we'll kick off with some news, as is our routine. Uh, there's not too much to get through this week. Uh, probably the biggest uh, news item, especially concerning Springbok fans, is that Stephen Kitsoff, the Ginger Ninja, the, I don't know what other names he is, the Spicy Plum, the Angry Mandarin, he's going to Ulster um, after this season. So he will complete the URC with the Stormers, the defending champs, and then he'll head over to Ulster to earn a bit of a paycheck, I imagine. Um, any thoughts on that, perhaps, Ant, uh, since we're going to get into the games just now, you don't have a, as much background in that. What do you think about Kitschel's move to Ireland? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to judge too hard at this stage. You know, so, so many Springboks, frontline Springboks playing overseas, you can't you know, begrudge anyone to head over. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have everyone based in Cape Town, or based in South Africa, I mean, but you know, it's kind of inevitable to an extent. Um, I'm not sure how long the contract's for, but it seems that Ulster has been a good place for a couple of guys. You know, with Kutsia being over there, Dwayne. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, can't can't begrudge the move, I suppose. But hopefully, it's not too long term, and he's able to be available for most of the big stuff back home. Yeah, I I, I, I do love a little rugby conspiracy, and and my my theory is that he's going over to be uh, to feel more at home in 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 the land of redheads. <laughs> so he's. Uh, <laughs> Leaving his country behind, and uh, he's going to go join the the land of ginger ninjas to be with his own kind. <laughs> how, um, how many ginger the country playing for Ulster? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Nathan Doak is one. Nathan Doak sticks out. 
And more yeah. is the one. Yeah. Sticks out because he's ginger or sticks out? <laughs> well, well, if they had more gingers, then I guess he wouldn't stick out as much. But I'm not sure. I mean, sure the blues, the Auckland blues are pretty ginger. I mean, well, maybe that's where, And I'm pretty sure they could use a loose head. Uh, everyone everyone could use Kitschoff, I'm sure. No one would turn him down. He's that good. Um, well, that, that's very good. But yeah, I yeah. also I, I agree. We um can't begrudge him too much. Uh, because he, he's went to Bordeaux uh, at some midpoint in his career, but he's getting towards the end, not quite at the end. He is a prop after all. They can sometimes go on well into their 30s. Um, but he's also, he's won a World Cup. He's won the URC. Obviously never won Super Rugby with the Stormers. Um, but he's achieved just about as much as he can. So. What was that, end? I was saying that's why she should go to the Blues. <laughs> the last <laughs> Match made in heaven, yeah. There you go. Yeah, he, he'd be right at home with uh, Finley Christie and Tom Robertson and the rest. Uh, talking of Nathan Doak just now, been waiting on this segue for a few seconds. Uh, the Emerging Islands squad have had a good tour to South Africa. They've won three out of three of their games. Uh, Chiefs is taking them a little bit close, but otherwise a pretty convincing clean sweep for them. Um, glad to have them back in the provincial sides in the URC so we can have a complete draft to pick from. But they also stood out, as Nathan Doak does, for donating their quarter of a million rand winnings to an orphanage in the Free State, the Haydadal uh, Children's Home. So a really nice move by Emerging Island and a big kudos and um, tip the hat to them for that generous move. Of course, it uh, goes a lot further here in South Africa than it does overseas, but a uh, great generous move by the by the young guys to to do that. Um, I assume they had some kind of a connection with that orphanage during their tour, and hopefully, well, my, my, my assumption is that they were moved to the point of making that move, so good for them. Um, yeah, anything else to say on that matter other than just well done to them? Yeah, I think um, it's it's obviously nice to see. But I think for them also, just like most of these players are, you know, 21, 22, a couple of older ones, but generally young players coming on tour, playing three matches in Bloemfontein. I'm sure they must have really enjoyed it and learn, also learned a lot from it, um, even though it was possibly to the detriment of some of the URC teams. I think it's a net positive for Ireland and obviously um, the sort of goodwill that goes with it now with this um yeah, with this donation, is also great from a South African perspective. Yeah, so good good to them. Uh, tip of the hat uh, to the Irish. Um, the last news item, which I don't think we need to spend too much time on, is the All Blacks announced their touring squads. They've got separate squads for their main tour group and uh, sort of All Black Select 15. Um, obviously doing a similar thing to the Springboks in terms of... Uh, secondary squad that's going to be playing midweek matches and, and against lesser teams and club teams. Um, also just to expose a wider pool of players to, to international climbs and international opposition. And uh, I think the only the only real surprise for me in that group um, was Luke Jacobson in the, the All Blacks Select 15. Um, he, would, he would be making the, the squad, to my mind, for most international teams. I guess he's sort of on the comeback from... An injury, but but he had played a fair amount of the, the last bit of uh, the New Zealand rugby. So yeah, Phil, and any thoughts on those squads or pretty predictable? 
Gardens, there's been too many changes from the rugby champs. Um, I agree on Luke Jacobson. I think he's a really nice dynamic player that can cover all three loose positions and brings us a bit more of the grunt work and physicality that they we've mentioned many times that they need. But they obviously you know prefer the guys that they have um, and they've kind of shown that card. So it's, it's good at least that he's involved in the select squad. Um, but yeah, it's it's not too surprising, I suppose, from my my mind. It isn't. I do want, to, or I wonder how different this select squad is versus, say, like a Maori All Blacks, or how much. Maybe the question is how much influence of the Maori used to Ian Foster and Co have. Whereas I presume this is much more of a development squad, so there's much more influence that that Foster can have over the squad. Yeah, I. I think it's they must be working fairly close together. So like getting to know the systems and all of that is a positive for them. I think uh, for the main All Blacks team, the biggest positive in the squad. I mean, most of it is very similar, but they have Anton Leonard Brown back, and I think he has the potential to just make such a big difference. Um, yeah, that's with, a very big, big pick. Yeah, just to shore up their centers, which has been not necessarily a problem area, but just not particularly solid like this whole year. So we'll see if he, because he hasn't played very much at all. So I don't know if he's just going to get thrown straight in. I don't think he's played any MPC. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But what I did find interesting is they didn't bring in any additional outside back cover, uh, which would suggest that they still knew um, Jordy is primarily a 15 and not a 12. In fact, they brought an LB and not an additional outside back. Right. And like, I suppose like with Perifetta and Will Jordan, you know, they've got Bowden, they wouldn't have said Cam Keller for Steam. But yeah, yeah I suppose, you know, given how well he played against Oz, one would wonder if he's the inside lane to continue in that 12 jersey. Yeah, and because Tui Vastashek is also still in the squad, and they haven't really trusted him to play 12, but he's been playing 14 for Auckland. Um, so I don't know if he's going to sort of be used as, an, as a wing option rather than a 12, just because, you know, he doesn't have the experience uh, if they want a big match maybe I, I can't remember if they're playing Italy and but maybe they'll use him in one of the sort of easier games um, but we'll see yeah wrapping up on that I I always just cast my eye over these all black squads and look for the Crusaders representation and I realized you could make an entire Crusaders backline apart from poor Bryn Hall who keeps getting <laughs> left out of the selection so um, but everyone else from from 10 to 15, you could make a a pretty spectacular backline just out of Crusaders players. So yeah, it just shows they really are the backbone of the All Blacks team. So when they're not really on their top form, you can you can see that translate through to the to the top side. But moving on from our news items, we're now going to go to some of the weekend's rugby. And you know the 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 saying goes, ladies first. So, of course, the Rugby World Cup 2021 kicked off. Still irks me that they insist on calling it that, but we'll fall in line. Um, it is kicked off oh, in New Zealand. Yeah. Saying otherwise, they're going to get confused with their trying to differentiate the two World Cups by calling it every four years. I mean, it's not very difficult maths. And everyone who lived through the pandemic will know, like, oh, 2020, 2021, something happened there. But anyway... That's like that much shit about it. <laughs> and did say that he was here just to be antagonistic, so I guess he's proving true to form. Well, I, mean, I still fundamentally believe it's stupid that they're calling it, you know, the 2021 World Cup and the 2023 World Cup, and just call it the men's and the women's. But you know, that's a separate view. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's another point of contention. 
they should just call it men's and women's. They've like made it deliberately confusing to everybody who now, as you say, have to do maths to figure out which World Cup we're talking about. Because in 20 years' time, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, the 2021 World Cup, the 2023 World Cup. And we're like, okay, was that, a, you know, which multiple of four backwards are we working from? Yeah, and I think, you know, you could try and cover up for them and say, well, there's this whole gender fluid debate going on, but World Rugby have come down pretty hard on the side of, you know, men's rugby and women's rugby. I think it was, was it Augustine Pichot from, from World Rugby who's basically said this is where we this is where we lie until then. So they can't even use that excuse. I, I agree with you there. Anyway, yeah. uh, not, not to detract <laughs> from what has been a pretty spectacular start to the Women's Rugby World Cup. Uh, the opening round, which was a trifecta of games um, with France, France, South Africa, Fiji, England, and New Zealand, Australia, uh, at Eden Park. Uh, they managed to sell out Eden Park and set a new world record for attendance at a women's test match. Um, looking back at the at the games and the ones that I did watch, obviously most of those were coming in for New Zealand Australia games. So you would think that title uh, probably goes to that fixture. But uh, yeah, what a festive and very lively start to to the Rugby World Cup. Some some great rugby on show. Um, we will just go through the results very, very quickly. Um, and then we'll talk about two particular games which we think um, grab the attention. Uh, the opening game, South Africa versus France, going down 40 to 5 against the French. Then England, who extended their world-breaking uh, run of consecutive wins to 26 by beating Fiji. Uh, the Fijiana by 84 to 19, an absolute thumping there. Then New Zealand uh, triumphed over Australia, the old rivals across the ditch, uh, 41 to 17. Then on day two, on Sunday, uh, Italy triumphed over the USA by 22 points to 10, uh, perhaps something of an upset. Then Canada, Japan ended 41 5 in Canada's favour. And lastly, a very tight game uh, which went down right to the last minute. Uh, Wales prevailing over uh, British rivals Scotland. Um, so, yeah, a great opening round of fixtures. Um, some really good rugby from what I was able to catch. I think we'll delve into two games in particular now. Of course, the, the South African women um, were on show, I think, at their first Rugby World Cup. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they, they were up against... Was that, is that right, Phil? I know they missed the last one, but I think they previously were at one where they lost all their games, the one that would have been eight year, or nine years ago. Uh, okay. Have we scored a side or will cup yet? Well, we well, have not. I mean, yeah, we have. <laughs> before, <laughs> before this game. We'll have to go back. What's 2020? <laughs> maybe I'll think about the Sevens World Cup, sorry. No, Sevens World Cup, of course. I mean, Nadine Rios scored four in a game, so. Um, before for the World Cup, I think we hadn't scored a try in the same World Cup. That's a pretty incredible stat, actually. Yeah, I think someone can fact check that while while we uh, chat about the the game. But um, perhaps I think if Phil is busy with that, I'll I'll give it a first bash. Um, I was able to tune in and watch this one. And I'm, I'm sorry, I watched the highlights because this was at 3:15 in the morning. Um, I can't claim that I got up that early to watch this game. There are limits, but um, the South African women, uh, by all accounts, did, did very well. Uh, despite the scoreline of 40 to 5, the first 20 minutes, uh, the rails come, came off somewhat and it looked a little bit ominous for the women. Um, France went up to uh, 
a uh, Phil's just popped in the chat. No tries at the 2014 World Cup. So yeah, this may have been our first try at a World Cup. We'll, we'll double check that, and you can you can tweet us if uh, if we if we got that one wrong. But the first 20 minutes, France uh, racing away to a 19-0 lead. Um, one pretty daft lapse of defence at a, a rolling mall in the second minute um, set the tone early on, um, and then a, a well-worked try. Uh, followed by an intercept, so could say that France were a bit flattered by that early lead. Um, that was held until the 50th minute where uh, South Africa scored our first try potentially in a World Cup, uh, Mabenga on the wing going in after some well-worked play, and uh, you felt that South Africa were quite in the game at that point. Unfortunately, from, from then on, uh, it was all France, as they scored another three unanswered converted tries. And I think the, the French ladies number 10 really deserves a shout out there for a great performance. Um, Phil, you were also um, watching the highlights of this game and, and, and invested in, in this game. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I think the um, if you're just looking at the scoreline, it doesn't look great. But performance-wise, it definitely looked a little bit more promising. Um, some very soft tries, uh, a lot of, I think, just even the amount of ball that South Africa had, um, especially in dangerous parts of the field, but they couldn't quite convert it to points, um, will sort of uh, make them feel a bit more confident, I think, going forward. They were sort of holding their own for large, large parts of the match, and um, I think that there were also some good individual performances. and. Hopefully that they can build on this going forward because France are one of the strongest teams, and um, especially like you picked out their fly half, but they have some really strong individuals as well. So uh, it's really all going to come down to the game this weekend, um, but it's not going to be easy despite South Africa having the edge in the world rankings. The Fijiana have been sort of onwards and upwards in the same in the same sort of trend that South Africa have. So I think this weekend is going to be really good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, and I believe it's at a more acceptable time um, so we can catch that one live, which would be lovely. Uh, yeah, they, they did have some really good individual performances. Again, Nadine Rose was at the heart of a lot of the good work on defence and offence. Um, again, our number 12 as well, uh, barnstorming runs. A bit of an unfortunate yellow for um, Solonsia, our number six, uh, our fetcher, who had a, a head on head, um, it got mitigated down, but um, those are the laws these days. But we did manage to keep France scoreless during that time, so so good on them for pulling together. Yeah, it bodes well, and of course, as Phil said, France are one of the maybe four favourites for semi-final slots in this competition. Um, so to to good on put a good performance down um, in our first game, and obviously. A lot of pressure going into your first Rugby World Cup. A lot of these uh, girls won't have played in, in New Zealand before, um, up against really good opposition and uh, a bigger crowd than they used to. Um, yeah, well done to them. I think it showed a lot of guts and it was a good performance all in all. Then moving on to uh, skipping through the England annihilation of the Fijiana, uh, who, who still did manage to score 19 points against the top England side. Let's, let's not um, negate that. But... And they were all in the first half, I think, sorry to interrupt. So I think it was really close until like a certain point where England just started running away with it. So it was almost like they could keep up for a bit, but then it just, the floodgates opened. Yeah, well, that, that's a real sign of uh, strength and progress. Good good on them. But moving on to the uh, 
key game of uh, the weekend, the one that definitely was the best attended and, and also the, the most anticipated by the hosts, New Zealand, uh, the Black Ferns against Australia. Uh, as I said, a record-setting women's test match attendance. Um, for me, one of the highlights of that game, and Phil, I know you were also watching this live, uh, was even before the first whistle had blown, the um, all-black women's hucker was just incredible. I mean, very different to the men's, and that's reflecting the cultural stigma, but almost like eerie and like spine tingling. I don't really know how to describe it other than just to say, go go look that one up on on YouTube. I know there is a recording of, of on the World Rugby Channel. Um, it really is something to see, and you can see the crowd just absolutely like reveling in that moment. It was so so cool. Um, and then, of course, Australia advancing in a flying wedge uh, to meet them was also a really nice touch um, up to the halfway line. So really cool game uh, to watch some really good rugby. Um, Australia actually leading in the first bit, uh, 19-year-old wing Tarita scoring two tries in just her second test. Um, Phil, what was your impression of um, that derby clash? I was really impressed with the quality. Um, I think some of the tries in particular were just, um, just really well worked and some of the skills involved, um, yeah, I w not necessarily blew me away, but I was uh, probably, it was it was more enjoyable than I expected without, you know, wanting to downplay it at all. But um, I think also just the intensity, like from the start, like you said, from the beginning with the hacker, and then Australia flying out of the blocks and really making it like a real contest until similar to the previous game, like a bit later on, uh, New Zealand managed to run away with it. But they only, yeah, managed to run away with it also by just scoring some amazing tries. There was the one to, right towards the end, um, forgetting the names now, but uh, like the a standout try, but also then just having two wings, I think they're both um, they're both quite experienced now in Ruby Tui and Portia Woodman, who I think scored five tries between the two of them, just makes such a big difference, I think. And even though, like you said, with Australia um, in scoring a try in your second test with Tarita, uh, but all around, just if you haven't seen the highlights from that game too, there's just some really, really good tries. Yeah, really great game. Um, two teams who are up and about the top of, of world rugby in, in the women's sphere, at least. Um, really putting on a great spectacle. Uh, it was a good game to watch. Um, Oz had two yellow cards. Um, one, Phil and I were debating, should possibly have been a red. Uh, again, a head-to-head, -head and uh, uh, Amy Barrett-Turon was a refing, a South African ref, friend of mine. And uh, we actually disagreed with her somewhat on that interpretation of events. Um, she said there wasn't any mitigation and then said, but uh, there was a low degree of danger, which um, didn't quite make sense to me. Phil, what was your interpretation of that ruling? I Yeah, like you said, I thought they got it wrong because to me, I think I could understand perhaps like no mitigation, but low force. I mean, it still sounds a bit weird, so I do get where you're coming from. But to me, there was still quite high force. And I think I said to you, the main reason why they were able to 
Mexico or downgraded to a yellow was because I think it was Michaeli too from New Zealand, like almost stayed on her feet and stumbled around rather than just going straight down. But it was a really bad hit. It was straight to the head. She had to go obviously up for an HIA. And I think if she had gone straight down to her feet or off her feet and if she, um, yeah, if, if she wasn't able to just somehow stay up, it would have been a clearer red. And to me, like, that level of force was pretty clear, so it should have been a red for sure, because there was no mitigation, high force. If that's not a red and it was dangerous, then I'm not sure what 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 else, yeah, what it really yeah. should be. If she if she dropped like a sack of potatoes today, I think we would have seen a different result. And um, of course, it was also the the Aussie captain Shannon Parry in her fourth World Cup, um, legend of the game, uh, who committed the offence, and who knows what role that might play. Um, but in, in Amy's defense, her TMO drew the attention to the incident and agreed with her interpretation of yellow. So I'm sure that the World Rugby Structures will review that decision as they do all the contentious ones. Um, and maybe we'll get Amy on a pod uh, when she's back from New Zealand and we can ask her directly, although I don't know if we'll get a straight answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ultimately, it felt to me like, you know, the occasion it shouldn't have been, but the occasion almost felt a bit more important, like than the giving a red in that um, moment. Maybe, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but <laughs> yeah, we, maybe we'll get an answer from her one day. Yeah, and she's got a big game coming up as well. I think the the North American derby, USA versus Canada. So uh, good luck to her in that one. It's bound to be a energy-filled, feisty encounter. All right, so I think that'll that'll cover us for the Women's World Cup, and we'll move on to some of the, the local and uh, international action happening as part of the URC. Um, of course, we are more interested in the South African games, but it has been quite fun getting to know some of the international teams and seeing some of the results come through. Um, definite knock-on effects for our draft and Super Brew leagues that we have set up. And there were a few upsets uh, this week, some unpredictable results, starting on Friday, of course, with the first game, which was the Irish Derby Connacht versus Munster, uh, a big upset there, I think. Uh, Connacht coming out 20 to 11 winners. Um, I had expected Connacht to be the whipping boys in the Irish uh, delegation this year, but um, they came up against Munster, who've been talked up in the preseason a bit, and they've got some exciting new players. Malachi Fikitoa, for one, was a big signing for them this season. Uh, he's sort of flattered to deceive. Um, and is this a, a result that you would have predicted going into this round of rugby? I mean, not going into this year's comp, but I mean, Munster have been pretty disappointing so far after the four rounds. I mean, what, they've won one game, I think? Uh, so maybe with that backdrop, it shouldn't have been that much of a surprise. I mean, Connacht have been playing some good rugby. Um, but yeah, it is worrying when a team with the names that have got in, are in a Munster's side um, are being beaten by, as you say, the perennial working boys of the Irish team, at least, and, and even Welsh teams. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely going to draw a lot of introspection for the Munster fans. Yeah, so something to think about there for, for the Irish uh, conference. Then following up, and arguably an upset, I guess, on Friday night, uh, Edinburgh at home against the Lions and the South Africans... Uh, pulling off a perfect tour, three out of three. Uh, they lost their first fixture against the Bulls, but have rebounded brilliantly. And I 
believe the coach was uh, heard to say uh, in a post-match interview, please can we just stay on tour? Um, the Lions prevailing 22-19 over Edinburgh. I, I, I thought that Edinburgh were back on home turf and had the return of Emiliano Buffelli and um, I, I'd pick them for this one. But Phil, your beloved Lions pulled through. Yeah, it was a wonderful performance from them. I think very much against the odds, even in the even in the match itself. Obviously, if you look at the win, a win by three points, you'll take it any day. But um, it was one of those uh, sort of backs against the wall performances, like really built on the defense, really, really strong, making tackles and then just being able to take your chances where they could. And um, and then to go along with just some really good individual performances, too, especially by some of the youngsters. Um, we've spoken about a couple of them even last week, but carrying on his form with uh, Hank Hoffenbeck really, really stood out. He scored a wonderful try, but uh, he also had an amazing cross-cover tackle on Darcy Graham, who obviously has no slouch. So him showing that sort of pace was crazy. I think Quan Horn also right towards the end of the game when Edinburgh were on the Lions line pushing for a try to take the lead. Then the Lions broke through, like kicked it um, all the way to the other side of the field. And Quan Horn managed to chase it down and then earn a penalty, which ultimately was the final penalty, which gave them three point lead. Um, and then also just a shout out for Ruan Fenter as well. He, um, he was just instrumental. I think he was sort of highest tackler for the Lions, highest um, carrier in terms of, yeah number of carries and he also he um in the first half he had a massive hit on Hamish Watson and then I think it was either beginning before halftime or after halftime where he sort of branched straight through him and Watson had to go off I think he probably had a had to go for an HIA it was if if he didn't have to go off injured they may have even had to check it because it was possibly a bit high but he was just completely on the receiving end of it and from a you know like a young or a 19 year old making his uh you know, it still still has uh, just a handful of caps for the Lions. It's so good to see. And it's one of these situations where it's just like if the Lions can keep the team together, which is a big if, then lots of exciting things to come. But, um, yeah, this sort of tour is great also for a team like this who's just sort of building for the future and, and bonding together and hopefully growing. Yeah, I think something the Lions have got right in the past under Sway Brain and Johan Ackermann has been that that real team ethos and like family feel. And you can't help but just wonder if we, we're getting back into some sort of glory days for the Lions. If as as you say, if they can hold on to their players. I mean there's been plenty of memes doing the rounds of the the sharks sort of proverbially circling with an open checkbook, um, looking at the likes of Henke Finvek, Kevin Horn. Um, Nahamba's obviously just come from the Sharks. Great move from him. Evidence um, of that? Sorry? Well, has there been any evidence of that? Is that just speculation? Oh, it's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just based on previous behavior. Come on, Sharks fans. Yeah, exactly. Ants feeling okay. tricked. Uh, shark, the Sharks in South African circles are now like the, um, I don't know, or the it yes. used to be it used to be Man United. I always re- re- revert back to them, but obviously they're no longer the biggest and best team in football anymore. But they're like you know the richest the so they're the one everyone hates. You're just gonna have to accept it, Ant. No, that's fine. I was just wondering. <laughs> I would love for them to say Hank Irvin Beck. I was just wondering if there was any grounds for the rumor. 
or whether this is just pipe dreams. No pipe dreams. Um, although I think you know they could probably use him in the in the absence of Lucanio M. Um, exactly, that's thing. I'd be very excited. Yeah, I mean I'd love to see him in a Springbok A team going on tour at the end of the year. That'd be awesome. Yeah, and we I mentioned it last week, but um, last week he played most of the match on the wing. This time he played the whole match at 13. So we got to see a bit more of him in that position. Um, and um, most of his good work is still like the less sort of traditional roles of like more 13 defense and sort of running off the 12. But at the same time, like if you think of the Springboks and if you think of most of the South African teams, you don't really, um, especially on attack, very seldom see the ball sort of go through 10, 12, and then lined off 10 or 12 to the 13 as much as other teams. A lot of it is more unstructured. So perhaps I'll fit right into that sort of structure and really um, be good. So Yeah, no, I think so. And just to, to finish off, Phil, with your analogy to Manchester United, you know, if, if, they, if the Sharks spin big and produce results, then you can say they're the Man City of football, of, of rugby. If they if they spend big and don't get the results, then they'll be the Man United of rugby. <laughs> yeah, it's just lots of spend and not much results. <laughs> exactly. From Leinster was not fun. And that's and that's um, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that, but uh, that's coming from a Man United fan. It's fine. I'll I'll hold that off. I'm keeping to the chronological order, but I'll try work it in for you and um. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna prioritize my team, the Stormers, who went up against Zebra in Italy next. Um, this one was a bit of an arm wrestle for the first 45-50 minutes. Um, there wasn't more than a score in it for quite a while, but of course the the big headline coming out of this, I think, is the performance of one young Sasha Ngomazulu, who came in surprisingly at 12 for the for the Stormers. He's traditionally been a 10 or 15 option at a stretch. Uh, he's coming at inside center and John Dobson has said he's actually got plans for him in that position while he beds him in into uh, professional rugby. Um, and he also even more surprisingly took over the kicking duties uh, with Moni Leboc, who was the top point scorer in last season's URC on the field um, to his inside at 10. Uh, so they, they gave him a bit more responsibility and man, didn't he shine? He, he did so well, I thought. Uh, was a, a big part of the defensive effort as well as the offensive effort where he obviously shone. Uh, perfect kicking record, managed to score a try himself and set up another. Um, and yeah, it, it really bodes well for the Stormers. Again, if the Sharks don't sign him, I guess, <laughs> just to take a pot shot, another one at Ant. Um, yeah, did, did either of you manage to catch um, the game or some highlights? Any impressions? Yeah, from what I saw... Um... I was watching, yeah, I watched most of it. I think there was something else on at the same time. I was trying to watch two things, but uh, other, like, I think the Herschel Yankees try was really nice. The one where um, Gomazulu sort of had the inside pass. It looked like he could have scored himself, but it's very, very unselfish. But it was quite a stop-start game, like a lot of scrums. It wasn't as free-flowing, I think, as the Stormers would have liked, probably. Um, it was really nice weather, nice warm there in northern Italy. I had a friend who was at the game. He's... Um, lives in Germany now, but he seems to enjoy it. He's a Stormers fan too, so he was at the Benetton one last year, so it's close enough to go and see. And so the weather was really good, the conditions were nice. So the, I think the 
the from a from a neutral ish spectator i think it could have been better but still um storm is getting a five point win away from home take it um easily and i think there were a lot of good performances too like very solid performances i think one of the concerns perhaps was i saw um chad solomon came on like and like less than a minute after he came on he went off injured so i think they've had to fly in a hooker um I think Kotze is the guy they've flown over, the young guy. So it's a bit of a problem position for them with Weber not being there already um, and Scarrant Benny still being out. So we'll see what they'll do this week. And uh, I guess they have more difficult games come, to come. So we'll see if they can keep moving forward. But it's a great start to the tour. Yeah, mentioning Dweber, of course, he's stayed behind because he was on Springbok duty. Um, and there's two others that are heading home now. Um, with Damien Willemser, who I didn't think was on his best form, and Herschel Yankees coming back, I assume more because of a tour fatigue rather than body fatigue. Um, maybe Damien's played a fair amount of rugby, but he is 24. You expect he can probably take it. Um, Herschel's been struggling to to get on the field for the spring box, although he has been traveling all over the world. So. I think they are being given some time with their feet up at home with their loved ones, which I guess is deserved. Um, the likes of Malherber and Kitsoff and Dweber were, were left behind. Um, they didn't go on the tour at all, so at least they got a game out of these guys against Zebra. Now, I guess they expected to win, but um, now we have the Stormers sitting with three wins from three, all bonus point wins uh, earned in the last minute, which was an interesting pattern um, I, I read picked up by, by John Dobson in his column um, for the Storms website that they've managed to to scrape a bonus point win towards the end of every game which I guess gives the team some confidence in, in the character and, and the, the work ethic to to get that last bonus point so yeah good luck to them then going on from the Stormers to uh, we're going to throw this one to Ant um, the Leinster versus Sharks fixture this one was a complete points blowout. Uh, some quick maths here says that there were 88 points scored in the game. And, um, yeah, some talking points there. I mean, Ringrose off the bench for a handful of tries. I think he got two or possibly three. Um, for uh, the Sharks, I thought Apalele Fassi finding form was a really good sign. Uh, he, scored, he scored a try and Takia Abrams scored a double. Um, and... Your your comments around the Sharks' performance, obviously going down, but um, were you happy with the approach? So, I mean, look, I, I have to admit, I didn't, didn't watch the game and only saw the highlights in a very um, not quite uh, sober state of mind. But from I think the, the, the two takeaways, or the couple of takeaways, the Sharks were very much in the game at halftime, obviously just being a point behind, um, which I think was probably a cause for optimism. But I think there was lots of more than one soft moment of defence um, that that you know let Leinster just completely run away with in the second half. I mean the Sharks scored some, some beautiful tries themselves, but and that's you know I suppose what you'll get when you have excitement machines like Fussy and Abrams in your team. Um, but if they can't tackle, you know it's great if they score five points, but if they let through ten, it doesn't doesn't really add positively. Um, you know which is probably justification for for why Fussy was let go of the Springbok squad, but. Yeah, it, it is frustrating and probably a bit concerning that the Sharks, you know, in theory, have the superstar team, but they can't 
get a result against a, a, you know, an away team. Granted, it's a very successful away team, but you know, losing by 30 it shouldn't be a, a cause for success or a benchmark for success on tour. Yeah, and I mean, Leinster, Leinster are counting the costs now of that win. They've got Ryan Baird out as well as Jordan Lama, who Gary Ringrose replaced on the wing. Uh, Ringrose very well off the wing as... Um, yeah, and you, you mentioned earlier in the build-up there was a lot of cross-kicking um, and some of it from Robbie Henshaw, but others from a returning Johnny Sexton. Uh, what were your impressions of Johnny Sexton's return to Leinster Colours? I think his gameplay was very good. Um, I mean, he controlled the ship really well. I mean, he was very happy to take it to the line, but his kicking and passing were a point as well. So his playing performance was really, really good. I mean, as you'd expect from a world player of the year and however many test cap player, but his interaction with the referee were obviously uh, left a bit of a sour taste in many people's mouths. Um, so he's kind of built a reputation as being a perennial whiner and quite petulant in the way that he deals with referees. And he certainly did that um, reputation no favours um, in what was a very whiny uh, performance. I mean, together a highlights package of his interactions with the referee and that was not a not a pleasant thing to watch and it's very very whiny <laughs> i think to be fair to him at least he's the captain so he has he's 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 allowed to yeah. um interact with the ref you get some players who try and do it like i don't know nick white's not the captain is he tjp most scrum halves. You expect it from yeah. scrum halves, I think, right? If if Johnny Sexton was a scrum half, maybe this wouldn't even be like a thing. But um, because he's the captain, so maybe it's worse, actually. Because he's the captain, he's just supposed to be like setting an example. He's supposed to be the sort of um, intermediary between the team and the ref. So him, and sometimes it's, and I think that what the commentators picked up on was that like, just stop there's you're not going to gain anything from doing this now like once the decision's been made once they've already you know like made it clear what's happening he would still go on and still go on and yeah sometimes from my from my point of view i also found it a bit tiresome um and yeah i don't i didn't enjoy that part of his game either yeah i mean it's all it's all fine to ask for clarification about decisions but you know once the decision has been made yeah, it's it's not soccer. You can't just hound the ref and give your complaints and just whine. I mean, whining is really the the verb <laughs> choice here. Yeah. Yeah. Whiny Johnny. Um, but uh, yeah, overall, I mean, a very exciting game, obviously, for the neutral, uh, given the the number of points scored and the exciting nature of a lot of the tries. Um, yeah, Sharks will come home now from a tour. I think they've they've said in the media they count this as a success, despite that. Despite that loss, um, they've got a couple of wins under the belt and played some good rugby. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're looking good this season and they obviously have a few returning Springboks still to assimilate with the squad. So we're looking forward to the likes of Sia Kulisi and Bongi Mbonambi uh, and a couple of others uh, rejoining the fray for the Sharks. Um, obviously, Itzbeth is due to play his first game for the Sharks as well. Um, so some big names coming back and can only stand them in good stead. I think we're well, just um we'll see how those names fold back in, but it doesn't feel like the forward pack's been the problem. And I think it's it's the back line. From from twelve thirteen, I think Ron Jans from Rensburg playing twelve at thirteen is not you know, his position. Um it feels like we've got two kind of blunt instruments there in the midfield. 
I mean, you've got a very, very exciting but leaky back three. You know, so bringing it's and Gleason is great, but I don't think it's going to solve their problems necessarily. Um, no. Well, I think they're going to be forced into making a change. I think we're waiting to hear the outcome, but Rohan Jansen from Rensburg got a deserved straight red card, so I think he should get a sort of three-match ban or so. Um, to be honest, he could have got two red cards in that one movement. So he had two high shots. They didn't even look at the second one because the first one was like, yeah, that's bad, that's a red card. So... He should get a ban, so maybe maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Like you say, it's been relatively blunt in the midfield, having him and Tapuai both. Um, but I'm, I don't know what, really if, what options like they've been bringing on. What's that other guy's name? Potkita off the bench, and he's also just doesn't really bring very much. Um, he's the thing. I don't know if he's at that level yet, and he obviously might yeah, get there. Still exactly. Fight. Yeah. Yeah. There's obviously cock you can get. He obviously brings a lot of energy, but it's not exactly like he's a distributing playmaker. Mm. So there's a step off from from um to the next player. It's obviously massive given um is the best, but you know, I mean even someone like Jeremy Ward would just bring a little bit more stability. But he's obviously playing with JDF Animation in France at the moment. Yeah, well, I think the, the player might be. Sorry, Ant. I was just saying, JDF Animation had a storm on the weekend. Oh, did he? Yeah, so hopefully there are plans to bring him back at some stage before he gets France capped. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've, had, we've had very chunky, though. <laughs> we've had that happen to us before. Um, I mean, I, I would think that the play would be to bring Van Kock back into the centres and, and maybe uh, your pet player is still a part of the squad, I think, at the Sharks. Uh, they've got no shortage of good wings. I mean, they've got that. A guy from the Greek was, and then they just signed another guy from the, the Pumas. So, um, think is still there. So, I mean, they've, they've got more wings than they have 13. So, I think, you know, cock at 13 is maybe not the worst shot. Yeah. Well, we'll see what they do when they come back now for the, the next weekend of games. Moving on from there, we had a, a Welsh derby. Um, this one was clouded in a little bit of controversy. Scarlets versus Cardiff. Um, Cardiff, uh, despite their off-field uh, troubles, Winning 16 points to 10, so a bit of a low-scoring game there. Of course, uh, we haven't mentioned yet, I guess, so we'll we'll do it some justice. But Cardiff during the week, um, their head coach Di Young coming under a lot of pressure for some of the player behaviour at a pub um, in Cardiff after their last round, where they, they had a loss and some some of the players, apparently the forwards, got very aggressive and uh, started verbally assaulting some of the bar staff and then throwing eggs around the place. So. They, they've kept it quiet, as quiet as they can in the media about who the culprits are. There were a few players left out of the Cardiff uh, squad, but they declined to release an injury update. So we don't know if those players are injured or off on disciplinary reasons. But regardless, they were able to pull off a win against uh, their local rivals, the Scarlets. Um, Scarlets not looking the best this season. Um, moving on from there. The next game was Ulster versus Ospreys. Ospreys without seven Welsh internationals um, in their run-on team. I'm not sure about the reasons for all of their absences. I'm not sure if it's a Welsh international rest issue or if they were injured or otherwise indisposed. But Ulster running out convincing victors 47 points to 17. Um, so they'll only be strengthened by the Kitchoff arrival, but already looking like good contenders. Although I think we're going to learn quite quickly not to read too much into results against uh, Welsh teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it, it seems to me that uh, there seems to be a very strong split between 
um, Wales and the rest in this competition. Is that is that fair to say? Um, I I think it's relatively fair. Uh, obviously it's early days and like Ant was saying earlier, Munster have really been poor this year. Um, with Zebra, they've like looked promising without getting any results yet. So seeing them against Welsh teams will be really interesting. Benetton have been pretty good from what we've seen. Um, so I think there is, I, I think there's no standout Welsh teams, which is a problem for them. Normally, you know, at least you have two good ones, two not so good ones, or even with Scotland, you only have two teams, but they're both sort of more in the middle. I think with Wales, yeah, all four teams are definitely going to struggle to make the top eight, which is a problem for them. Um, and I think two of the four are going to be sort of wooden spoon contenders. So certainly not ideal. Yep. All right. So there we have it. We'll see if that plays out over the rest of the season. Uh, last two games now. Uh, the last one on Saturday was a game between Glasgow and the Bulls. Uh, the Bulls, Adam last week was talking them up as con title contenders already. Um, that he would. Eating he would. He would. You know, being being from that part of the world and you know supporting, being such a fervent Bulls supporter. His blood is blue. His blood is blue. Um, they went down 35-21 to Glasgow at home. Uh, that stretches Glasgow's undefeated uh, run at home uh, to over a year uh, since its defeat to Leinster, oh. I think, in April last year. Um, so Glasgow, two out of four wins so far, but looking like there's a home advantage coming through. One has to wonder whether or not that is uh, something to do with their hybrid pitch. Uh, Jake White apparently leaving Johan Gursen out for this game for that specific reason because Gursen suffered a pretty horrific injury on a hybrid pitch, I think, last time he played on one. So I don't know what we read into that, but Bulls really didn't pitch up at the races. I thought Marcel Kutsia looked pretty good. Uh, he was impactful, um, some nice offloads and, and play, uh, obviously a massive work rate. Um, Sad to see him going in just a few weeks' time to Japan. Um, I think the Bulls are going to suffer from that. But the likes of, of Elric Lowe and a few other of the forwards reverting to that Bulls stereotype of just brawn over brains, I felt like. And, and Glasgow played more clever rugby, uh, more incisive rugby, and came away with a pretty convincing win. I think the Bulls scored two tries late, one of them through Bismarck Duplessis, uh, and that sort of flattered them on the scoreboard. But I thought Glasgow were pretty much outright winners in that game. Do either of you have any impressions of that game? I think I was disappointed in the Bulls. I thought that they would do better. Like you say, they just didn't seem to pitch up. And I think most frustrating for me was just how they seemed to lose like at the breakdown, considering they lose trios. Like when when I looked at it on paper, seeing Marcel Kutzea, Marco Vinstad and Elrach Lowe, that should be, especially at this level, like really, really strong. And the Scott, the Scottish or the Glasgow lose trio. Um, on paper, I thought the Bulls should be all over them, but it wasn't the case. So that section of the game, the breakdown, I thought really stood out as where the Bulls were poor. Um, and then just yeah, some of the sort of, it looked like in the back line they just didn't sort of. Um, look very coherent at all. They had a couple of nice tries off it, but more off either breaks or off malls. So, uh, yeah, hopefully they'll improve in that regard. But they, as 
previous season's finalists, they yeah didn't give a good account of themselves here. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I think we'd like to see the Bulls doing well, um, but they'll, they'll learn lessons from this and um, hopefully come back a bit stronger. Then the last game of the weekend was uh, Benetton versus Dragons on Sunday. Uh, that result went 34-14 in Benetton's favour. I've uh, been reluctantly impressed by Benetton. Um, I don't know if it's still lingering sourness about them. You know, before the URC became a thing, it was the the winners of the, the two championships and Benetton hosted the Bulls and absolutely obliterated them. And I just thought that no Italian provincial team could really be that good. But Benetton are playing with a squad mostly made up of Italian nationals, not sort of fly-ins for the job. Um, Zebra are a bit more guilty of that. Um, mostly, of course, Captain Devold Dubinach is familiar to many of us, especially as Storms fans. But he's been there for a few years now. I mean, he's part of the furniture. But yeah, 34-14, I mean, given we, we just talked about the the lack of strength of the Welsh Welsh sides um, beating the Dragons. But yeah, Benetton actually seemed like a team to be concerned about. Yeah, they've had a really good start to the tournament so far. And um, since he's come into, he's just played the last two games, but the flyer of Albinos, he's been really good in our fantasy draft. He has the highest current average, I think, two really strong games from him. But he's, yeah, he's still young. I mean, he's obviously not Italian um, from Argentina, but he, if with him at 10 and with, um, yeah, they they have, I would say, a really strong squad. Um, and at home there, they could probably beat anyone on their day. So definitely not one of the weaker teams. And even last year, they mostly put up, put in a good shift. Um, so like we were comparing, talking about the Welsh teams earlier, I think I would put Benetton above all four of the Welsh teams. So, yeah. And has that sort of reflected your idea of the relative strength of the different leagues this year? Are Benetton someone to be feared? I mean, I'm kind of stuck in your mindset as well. Of like, it's hard to give an Italian team the proper, the proper credit, even if they deserve it. I mean, they Benetton have been good, but I think you know that that good get, uh, result last year, every now and then as well. Um, so now, I mean, look, I, I don't think you can expect to beat them. I think I'd probably agree with Phil and say that I'd be more nervous of them, particularly at home, than I would be of the last teams. But, you know, I don't think they're challenging for the title. And I still think they would be expected, to, you would be expected to beat them if you're taking your season seriously. But, you know, you're not going to walk up there with a second string team and, and crush it. For sure. I've been quite impressed with Benetton that they've, <clears throat> they've seemed to uh, favour the Italian nationals in their squad over some of those, um, some of those internationals that they do have in their ranks. I say this as a an owner of MJ Pelsa and Toa Halafihi uh, in the draft. I was really hoping that they would get some good time in the back row, but the the Italian nationals are really stepping up, and I wonder if there's not a directive from the Italian Rugby Football Union to develop those up and coming Italian players and expose them at this level of rugby. I mean, it can only be good for for Italian rugby to have these players excelling on on this kind of a stage and playing against guys that they will meet in international jerseys so 
a strong Italy is good for the Six Nations. It's good for international rugby, I guess. We want it to be as competitive as possible um, and have fewer South Africans shipped in to play for the Italian team. It does seem to uh, dilute the contest a little bit. Um, it would be nicer if we had just you know, proper nations on, on proper nations. And here's, here's looking at you, New Zealand. Um, all right, so <laughs> on that... Last spicy take. I think we've got through our uh, roster for this evening. Um, we've covered our news and our, our various rugby. Uh, we are coming up on an hour, but we have a couple of minutes just to look forwards. Um, the South African teams, uh, for the most part, are coming home. They're going to be playing at home in the URC over the next couple of rounds. I think the Lions don't have another away game until after the November break, which is pretty great. It might even be until next year. I'm not sure how the fixtures are looking. Um, and some other kind fixtures coming up for the other South African teams. Obviously showing a lot of dominance early on, um, just a couple of losses. Uh, are, we, are we happy, gents, with where we're at in the URC at the moment? Is, are, are we surprised or is this sort of just our dominance from previous season uh, showing through? I think we're happy, we're very happy. If you compare this to last year, like this point in the season, it was way different. Um, just it seemed like it was impossible for any of the South African teams to win on tour before any of the Springboks came back. So getting a couple of wins, let alone a team like the Lions getting three out of three is really, really good. Um, if you look at the overall log, all four South African teams are looking relatively healthy. Um, and yeah, with hopefully some favorable fixtures to come before the frontline Springboks are back in duty. We'll carry on seeing this progress. I think I'm a little bit nervous for this weekend. Lions hosting Ulster back at Ellis Park. Um, definitely not going to be an easy match. But, you know, given the Lions so far this season, it might be weird because they might, because of the winds, be slight favorites, which is going to be not that much fun to take. Um, but hopefully we'll be able to pull out a win all the same. Yeah, an unfamiliar, if not uncomfortable position for Lions fans to be in is the um not the underdogs in a fixture for once and your impression so far of course you didn't catch the the most recent round but are you happy with the things with the way things are lying at the moment oh yeah 100 I mean, you can never be upset that we only lost what, three games in total and one of those was to ourselves um that it's, it's a massive improvement on last season and i think that's Worrying for the rest of this team, this uh, the competition, considering you know, this is meant to be when they are racking up their points. They're at home, they have their internationals. We're on tour and we don't. You know, again, if you take the trajectory from this point last year to the end of the season, I mean, we were all sitting in the bottom, you know, kind of six, uh, and you know, managed to climb up to, you know, what we had three in the playoffs by the end of it um, because of the strong second half of the season performance on our team. So the fact that we started strongly, they still need to lose their players. We still need to bring us back. You know, we should be set up for a very strong tournament. The only caveat to that being how we handle the championship, um, our Heineken Cup, or whatever it's called now, Euros. Do we have yet to juggle both? Um, I think that's where we're going to see our teams potentially struggle. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, it's obviously, you know, the more you can bank up early, the better it is, you know, rather be having being chased and chasing for sure. 
Yeah, in the short term, it seems to me the challenge is going to be reintegrating those Springboks who've been on, on leave. Um, but in the long term, how those Springbok players are rotated in and out of the squads uh, with regard to international duties and the rest is going to be a challenge as well. Uh, not only club duty, but also you know in the Springbok rest periods, you'd expect guys will be mandated rest uh, during the season as well. So interesting times to come. Things are looking good. Um, it's all thumbs up for now. Looking forward to more women's and men's rugby action over the coming weeks. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Ant. Uh, travel safely back, Ant. Uh, it's great to have you back on the pod, and uh, we look forward to having you back in the country very soon. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a whole separate conversation. There's currently a pilot strike um, on my airlines. So getting home is genuinely going to be an issue, but we'll, we'll see how that pans out at the end of the week. I'm trying not to think about it just yet. All right. Well, we hope the title foreign correspondent doesn't become too permanent. Uh, we'd like to have you back at some time <laughs> in, the, in the short-term future. Uh, thanks very much, Phil. Um, good to have you on as well. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, for hosting. Always, always a pleasure. And, yeah, looking forward to the next one. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll catch you again next week. Cheers.